0: Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version, a podcast in which I interview inspiring women whose paths have crossed mine. And you can learn more about my work at MariaLeonardOlson.com. My latest book is 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. I am recording from my home office, So if you hear my dog, I apologize in advance. I am so very excited to have with us today, Ellen Warner, whose book I was lucky enough to profile in the Washington Post this March, 2020. The review is available both in print and online at washpost.com and at many different outlets. Ellen Warner's career, as a photojournalist spans more than 50 years. Her photographs have been published in numerous newspapers and magazines and exhibited extensively. Over the years, she has developed a specialty of author portraits and has worked for most publishing houses in New York and London. She has also written travel articles, which have been published in the New York Times, and Travel and Leisure in the United States, and in The Traveler in the UK. Ellen's recently published book, The Second Half, 40 Women Reveal Life After 50, explores in photographic portraits and interviews how the second half of life is experienced by women from many different cultures. From a French actress to a British novelist, from an Algerian nomad to a Saudi Arabian doctor and an American politician, Ellen Warner traveled all over the world to interview women about their lives. She asked them what they learned in the first half that was helpful in the second and what advice they would give to younger women. Their revealing and inspiring stories are enlightening for all readers and are illustrated by Warner's stunning portraits, which tell their own stories. I wrote, as I said, a review of Ellen's excellent book for the Washington Post which has been reprinted in numerous publications around the world. The link to that review will be in the show notes, is in the show notes. And as I wrote in my review, paring away the essential, being generous, practicing gratitude, staying in the present moment and finding purpose, Our ways of living urged repeatedly by the women interviewed for the book. See more about Ellen's work at ellenwarner.com.
1: Welcome, Ellen. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I am thrilled that our paths have crossed in this life. We do so many similar things or overlapping things in helping women discover who they are and uh, reflect on their lives. Can you tell our listeners, what gave you the seed for writing this remarkable book?
1: Well, you know, I was photographing a woman who had just turned 70 when I was in my 50s. And, you know, I always try and make people feel comfortable when I'm photographing them and talk to them about nothing usually. And this time I found myself asking her, you know, what is it like to be 70? And what did you learn that's been helpful to you at this time? And how do you look to the future? And I left that portrait session and thought, this is what I want to know about. I want to know what it's like to be 80. I want to know what it's like to be 90. I want to know what it's like to be 107 as the oldest yes. book is. So that was really the beginning. And then it started With me photographing a few people who I had met before, and then starting to photograph and interview people that I had not met before.
0: But you didn't intend initially to write a book, is that right? How did the book come to fruition?
1: Well, I don't know. It just evolved. I think pretty early on it evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I thought there are a lot of other people who were interested in this sort of thing too, and. After I was doing it for about six months, when I was talking to younger women, they would say, I can't wait to read this book. You know, I want to find out what it's like to be older. And I had known that people my age, um, people sort of over 60 or, or whatnot, um, would be interested in it. But I had no idea that that many people that were younger were interested in it and now that it's published it's so curious because men are really interested in it wow
0: (laughs) wow to what do you attribute that interest
1: well i think they're just sort of gobsmacked by the stories that these women are telling and i've i mean this is sort of funny i've had a couple of men say to me how on earth did you find so many interesting women (laughs) they were needles in a haystack or something. I said, well, they're all around you, you know. So well, yeah, yeah,
0: you did. You interviewed how many women?
1: I must have interviewed, well, there are 40 women in the book, and I must have interviewed, I don't know, 65 or something. Okay. But you know, sometimes the criteria for the women were that they were interesting looking, not necessarily beautiful, but interesting looking, and that they opened up in the interview process. And occasionally, um, you know, you'd have somebody that wouldn't open up really. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you want people to tell their stories, obviously. And sometimes these people were recommended to me by other people. So I hadn't seen them before. Um, And, you know, so sometimes you'd get, A good interview and the portrait wouldn't be so great or vice versa so that's how i narrowed it down really to those the 40 that are in the book
0: and the 15 who were not selected
1: did you get any blowback from not including them well you know this was such a long process that i don't think they probably remember that you know There was maybe going to be a book. But what mm. I did do was I sent them all portraits of themselves. I mean, quite uh, a few. So they got something out of it. I mean, they got, I don't know, I must have sent them each about six or eight really good portraits of themselves. So it was worth their while, I think. And absolutely. Most of, them, most of them are overseas. Um, mm. You know, I've only gotten one person who a couple of years ago, um, wrote back and said, "Is there a book yet, or whatever?" And there wasn't at that point, so I could say no. Right. But um, and I right. think you enjoyed the process. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if you haven't seen this book, dear listeners, please do yourself a favor and get the book. The photographs are arresting. She, Ellen, has this incredible eye that was honed over 50 years of photographing people. So look at the pictures and they tell, as I mentioned, a story on their own. So tell us, how did you find some of the women who are were over a hundred years old? How did you find them?
1: Well, um, the, the woman that I'm thinking of particularly, who was 107, she died at 110 or 11. Wow. Um, was in Antigua in the West Indies. And my sister and I go to Antigua every year. Um, it's sort of a sister trip. Nice. And, but I can't go to a place without feeling somehow connected to the community. So mm-hmm. I had been photographing four girls from the time they were eight or nine every year when I went. And these girls are now 30 something. One of them's a doctor. One of them's a businesswoman um the other two have you know had really stayed on the island most of the time and so one of the women who's in the book is the grandmother of one of those girls but the woman that's 107 people would say oh irene carlos you've got to photograph irene she's you know she was the oldest woman in Antigua," and so that's how i found her My goodness.
0: And aren't we lucky that we get to read the story of this incredible person? I mean, the breadth of experiences that you profile in the book just amazed me. Amaze is not the proper word, but I just felt so uplifted. I was lucky enough to, in my childhood, live with my two grandmothers at various times in my childhood and the opportunity for intergenerational learning changed the course of my life. And I am somewhat dismayed that that is not the at least prevailing sentiment in the the United States where we value the lessons that we can glean from the older generation, that we prefer to have them live in our homes as opposed to putting them in assisted living. And I by no means begrudge the decisions that any individual must make with regard to their family. I just believe that the prevailing sentiment has shifted in the United States and um, that we are losing out on intergenerational learning as a result. What are your views
1: on this? I I totally agree with you. I mean, my mother lived to 97 Mm -hmm. and she was in her own house the whole time, her own apartment. And, you know, her children and great-grandchildren loved coming to see her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they learned a lot from grandma. I mean, now there's many times when we say, oh, grandma would have said this or grandma would have said that. And, but it also is vice versa, older people really need to be in touch with younger people. Mm-hmm. because You have to one of the women in the book Jacqueline Delia a French woman said that when you get older, you have to widen your horizons, you have to be very careful not to close them off, because um, that keeps you young mm-hmm. and vital. And so it is so important to have families be able to be in contact on a regular basis. And I feel, you know, I think it's, I mean, there's something to be said for assisted living, if it's not possible to do anything else, but if it's possible, it's a real benefit to have older people at home with you.
0: Completely agree. And while I was criticized online for a a statement I made to this effect in the Washington Post review, I stand by it. And I want to be proven wrong that America generally um, does not take the road of putting their elderly relatives in assisted living if they can keep them at home. So your book took more than 15 years to complete. Did you Uh, record the interviews? Did you take notes? How did you capture the
1: interviews? Well, you know, when I first started, I'd never done an interview before. And so, first of all, I had a list of questions that I wanted to ask them. And I took notes. And then I thought, you know, it's sort of boring. If you just ask them these questions, you have to find out more about them. So I asked them to do a recap of their life story. And I took pieces of that, edited pieces of those out and put them in the, in the final copy. Um, and then it wasn't till pretty far along that I started to record. And, um, but I always felt nervous about the recording machine. So I always took notes as well. Smart, smart. Yeah.
0: Technology has failed me on certain occasions.
1: Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but, you know, I'm writing so quickly because you want to get exactly their words. You yes. don't want. And, um, and so I'd say, okay, stop for a few minutes. Now, take a pause. I have to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it worked.
0: It certainly worked, and I love how the the entries for each woman reads like a first-person essay. I think that was a clever editorial device or your, your choice. Tell me about that process. How did you decide to take yourself out of what was produced in the book and let them read as individual essays told in first person?
1: well, I just wanted them to be their words. I didn't want to interject myself. And I remember talking to a good friend who's a literary agent before I even found a publisher. And he said, some people might want what's called wallpaper, which is, you know, you talk about how you found the person, what it was like photographing them, that sort of thing. But I even felt that that was an infringement. I'm happy to talk about that in interviews, but I wanted this to be their words. And um, there's one woman that I'm thinking about particularly now because I've sent a copy of the book to each woman who's in it. Mm. And there's one woman who I haven't been able to track down and she's in Oman and she is had a really hard life. She's illiterate. Her mm. mother said, you know, you don't need to go to school. You can clean the house. And then she got married at a very young age. She was married off and had three children. And then her husband left her and went to Pakistan to marry somebody else and took the three children with him, the youngest child being two months old. She married somebody else who left her. And then she finally, she was working in a factory and she finally, she had to be driven to the factory by a taxi every day because she couldn't read the road directions. And she and the taxi driver fell in love and she married him. So she ended up being really happy. Her children all came back. They're all really close, but I want um, her to be able to get a copy of the book to see her pictures, to have somebody read to her, her interview and see her in the company of all these other women and realize that her voice is heard half a you know, globe away around the other side of the world. So I want it to be their stories. And I feel right now that I'm just an agent for these women. I mean, I'm not, you know, part of this. I mean, I'm part of it and that I pull them together, but I feel like it's their book. That is so
0: beautiful. And listeners, this book is a coffee table book. It is something that you're going to want to have on display. It sparks incredible conversations. You, I personally am inspired every time I look at the book, and I think it was very uh, worthwhile that you included people from highly paternalistic societies that, whose experiences are so vastly different from those most, generally speaking, in the United States So did you receive comments from your readers who said, wow, I can't relate to having a husband with several wives who took my kids. I mean, for me personally, it broke my heart to read that. And because my mother is an immigrant, I can picture that. But I suspect it is very far removed from the average American's life to consider what the life of an illiterate woman in Oman has experienced. So can you tell me about some of the comments you've received about that, if any?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the only comments I think have been positive and that people are curious about it. But I received one interesting comment from an older friend of mine who's in her 90s. And she was really interested that one of the women in Saudi Arabia had really fought to get education. Mm, I
0: love that story.
1: Yeah, -hmm. Mm -hmm. she had had fought to study science and become a doctor. She was one of the first women doctors in Saudi Arabia. And yet her advice um, about marriage was something that was very hard for us liberated women in the United States to relate to. She said, you've got to you've got to make your husband happy. It's extremely important. You know, it was all you've got to do this. And she said, you know, in our country, they can go and marry somebody else. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, it but that was sort of the only comment that was, um, that was interesting. Um, she just couldn't understand how you could have the mindset to be so forceful about your career, and yet feel, um, you know, comfortable in a very paternalistic society.
0: That duality played out in my life. My mother was an immigrant from the Philippines. She was an executive at Lockheed Martin, where she was a very strict, tough boss. And I, uh, during high school, would sometimes do my homework at her office. And I was taken aback by how strict she was with her employees. And yet when she crossed the threshold into our home, she became subservient Southeast Asian woman. And I could not understand it. It really was confusing to me as a young person. And I love that you profiled women who displayed this duality in whatever their culture demanded of them.
1: Yes. Well, we grow up in our own culture and it's hard to hard to get rid of it. Mm-hmm.
0: It is, but we tell ourselves stories. We grow up and are affected by what goes on around us, and we can choose to grow and evolve or to stay where we are. And your book has helped me to continue to evolve and consider other perspectives. And I thank you so much for putting this into the world.
1: Well, thank you, Maria. Really, that's so nice to hear. It's these women who are doing it. (laughs) Well,
0: I am... So blown away by your work, and I think that it has the capacity to increase and expand our perspectives all over the world. I love that you have Erica Jong writing the book's forward. How did that happen? I mean, she is an icon, and I was just tickled to, to read that she wrote the forward and she said. In the foreword, perhaps we can return to a time when naturally aging faces are embraced. Can we appreciate our laugh lines? Oh, my goodness. I love
1: that. Well, she's a terrific person. And um, I really wanted to get her if I possibly could. And I have a good friend who knows her daughter, Molly Jong Fast. Mm. And um, so it sort of happened through her. And um and then I was thrilled when Erica wanted to do it.
0: Wow. Well, kudos to you. Oh, it's great. You mentioned you have at least one, two daughters. What did they think of the book?
1: Well, they're really proud. And, um, you know, our family has always been very strong um, in female solidarity, I guess it is. My mother was a very strong person. She was sort of like a general. I mean, you. You know, as a child, you were scared of her, really. but then <laughs> as an adult, you, you know, she was just wonderful. and um, and but one thing that she did foster was this very close um, bond with all the women in the family. And um, so the girls are saying, "Go, mom, it's great. <laughs>
0: you know? love it. That's wonderful. I am not certain that my kids have actually read my book. So I am pleased that your daughters have read yours.
1: Well, I'm not sure they've read it cover to cover.
0: (laughs) One can only lead a horse to water. One cannot make them drink. (laughs) So I like to ask all of my guests the following question because I have not receive the same answer in more than 50 podcasts. And that just pleased me, pleases me to no end. What do you do Ellen Warner to become your best version?
1: Well, I meditate. Mm-hmm. I think that that is, has been very important to me to center me. Um, I've taken lessons in breath work and, um, and so that I, try and do that a bit every day. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the other thing that I do is I really try and keep myself fit. And I'm a great believer that what you eat, I mean, what you put into this machine that is your body is going to affect how it works for you. And I try to really eat. um, I don't eat red meat unless we go out for dinner or something like that. So my My diet is quite important to me. So I think if I can nourish my spiritual mind and remain centered and calm and keep my body healthy, then that I will become the best version that I can. Very wise
0: words underscored by one of your interviewees. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her her name correctly. Teish, T E I. And Louisa Tish.
1: Yeah. Tish. Tish.
0: Okay. I love the word she used in describing the diminished cooperation from the body. Oh yeah. my goodness. Do yeah. I feel that at age 58?
1: <laughs> um, and you really, I mean, it becomes increasingly important to exercise, increasingly important. So
0: absolutely you are so wise and undoubtedly gained additional wisdom from the remarkable women you profile in your book the second half you can follow ellen's work on facebook at ellen warner the second half instagram ellen warner photos and twitter e warner photos her website again is ellenwarner.com You are going to want to get this book requested in your libraries, get it online, but most importantly, go to your independent bookstore and ask them to order it. We need to support our independent bookstores to keep them viable in our communities. Ellen, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your experience, strength and hope, your tremendous work And I am so honored to know you.
1: Well, Maria, thank you so much for inviting me. And it's an honor to be here.
0: Thank you. So tune in again next week for Becoming Your Best Version.